a reading from the letter to the Colossians. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.
Then Jesus told them a parable, a reading from the Gospel of Luke. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones, cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.
If this were a, a thoroughly modern cathedral, I would step aside now and this platform, this, this elevator would go down, descend, and then it would be raised up with, with, a, with a symbol of why we gather. On that, on that platform, as it raises, as dry ice and smoke and clouds roll, roll aside, you would see here at the center a golden easel. And on that easel would be newsprint. And on that newsprint would be a theological reflection. And I would lead my first TR, which I've never done, for this, the Gathered Education for Ministry community. So we're glad you are here. For those of you who don't know, TR is something, that's EFM speak. Uh, you should know this is EFM graduation tonight. Uh, and, and I'm telling the choir because they know what it's like to gather once a week for nine months at a time for long hours. So does EFM. You all gather for four years uh, to, they tried to get me to do all the reading. I couldn't keep up with it. Um, to explore what, what our faith is really all about. Um, and I do want to say that um, by, by sheer coincidence, I have been a part of three churches now 
that not only did each one have the diocesan EFM coordinator in it, but I also walked into churches, so these had been long before I had gotten there, for whom EFM was a part of the fabric of that church community, which means for 5, 10, or more years, there were a succession of graduates who had gone through this really intense formation, who had gone on um, to really to cultivate a, a deeper sense of leadership, uh, lay leadership especially, within those churches. And I have seen what a gift that is. It, it's been a part of my formation as a priest. I haven't known anything but this. Uh, and I just want to honor you all and thank you for the, what you have done and encourage you to continue in your study, your prayer, um, and, and in your fellowship. I want you to consider for a moment what it might be, must be like for someone who is um, hard to imagine here. We're in a cathedral, but imagine what it's like to have never met someone who claims to be a Christian. Imagine what it's like um, to be an adult, to be deeply traumatized by an experience that most of us could never even imagine. And then to come into contact with someone who, who lives and breathes uh, this life of discipleship that we talk about, that we tell our sto these stories about, but then to find in it not just a nice story, but actually the liberation that, that we talk about. And that's just one part of the story of Josephine Bakita. She was born in 1869 in Darfur, which is now Western Sudan. And until her seventh, eighth birthday, she actually lived uh, what we would call a wonderful life. She was a um, child of a re respected and reasonably prosperous father who was the brother of a village chief. She said she had a loving family three brothers and three sisters in her own words. Up until that time, she didn't know what suffering was. Until about that time, Arab slave traders abducted her. Actually, she had already learned what suffering meant because two years before those, or perhaps other slave traders had come in and abducted her, her elder sister. But then she was abducted, and then she was sold twice um, into from one household, from one family to another, including one where her mistress held, excuse me, stood there with a whip while another woman came in bearing um, uh, a bowl of flour and salt, and, and forgive me for saying this, but with razor, and, and sliced incisions in her skin. 114 incisions and the purpose of the salt and the flour was to make it permanent. As if it wasn't permanent enough. To disfigure her. An intentional scarring as a way of signifying, I don't know what we want to call it. Uh, ownership, domination, whatever it is, it is profoundly sinful. And it is a symbol of how often oppression is, is inflicted on and made visible but we know those scars can then go down within and deep. And how, how on earth do we heal from that? How? 
as the story continued, the family that um, possessed her, again, I don't know what the right word is. There is no right word. Um, fled to Italy because, uh, because of some conflict there in, in Darfur, Sudan, uh, where she came to stay for a period of time at, uh, at a convent in Venice, in the company of the Kenosian sisters. And it was there, it was there that Bakita encountered Christianity for the first time. By the way, Bakita is not her given name. She didn't know what her given name was. Through all that trauma, she lost her sense of who she was and the name that she had been given. And so she took this name, which meant fortunate. I can't, I can't imagine. She took that name. She was this family that, that had, had given her uh, away temporarily, tried to reclaim her. And so it was the, um, it was the prior of this, the superior for the catechumenate, meaning um, the sister whose job it was to guide, invite people into baptism. By the way, hello EFM, baptism. You all are scholars of all the ways that we are called to support one another in this baptismal journey. Anyway, it was this superior who then appealed to, the, to a judge, to the patriarchate in the, the, the um, not the patriarchy, the patriarchate um, in, in Venice. And it, was, and it went to court. And, and this is legalistic, but because Italy did not have slavery, and because Britain had outlawed slavery by the time Bakita was born, Josephine Bakita was born, she was set free. We would like to think she'd have been set free just because it's the right thing to do. But you get there where you, whatever way you get there. Freed, she then entered the monastic life. She became um, a sister at the Kenosian convent in Sio, S-C-I-O, in northern Italy. And there she lived for 35 or 40 years, known as someone with a strong missionary drive, whose mind was always on God, whose heart was always in Africa. She was known for her gentleness, for her calming voice, for her ever-present smile. She was charismatic. She had a reputation for sanctity. And um, she was known as someone who prevented this. She died in 1947. But in the 1940s, when she was in an Italian village, the planes came, the bombs fell, and though the village was destroyed, there were no casualties. And so they, they held her up as the reason um, why, why that happened. As she was nearing death in 1947, having taken this journey from, from, from the bliss of innocence, whatever we want, to, to the, the, the horrific reality of enslavement, and out through that to taking orders to becoming a monastic. She arrived at the end of her life, first of all, remembering and and. Sometimes folks in their last moments, they go back to traumatic moments. And she said in those last moments, the chains are too tight. 
loosen them a little, please. But then she suddenly remembered the bliss of Mary, Our Lady. And so she recalled that moment of freedom. She was brought to freedom, even in the last moments of her life. She is the first black woman canonized in the modern era. She is a patron saint of, South, of modern Sudan and a patron saint of human trafficking. I bring up the, I pointed to you all, not just our EFM folks, but all of us, when we talked about baptism. I don't want to suggest that that cures all, that that washes away the pain that so many go through. But it is a reminder of who we are and what this life calls us to. And I want to thank you all and commend you all. And I am so glad you are coming together just to spend a little bit of time together. To remember all of those, I hope, wonderful hours of study. They weren't all wonderful. I know, I know that some of you all drove home one of those nights saying, I cannot believe, what, what was that, what happened? Did that ever happen? Yes. But I also know that it drew you to a deeper awareness and knowledge of who you are and who you are called in your baptism to be. And so I want to challenge you all, everyone sitting here, everyone online, everyone behind me, I want you to challenge, I want to challenge you to this thought of what would you be if someone met you and you were the very first time they met a follower of Jesus. God willing, they will have not gone through the kind of trauma we're talking about here. But you know what? There's a lot of stories and they're a lot closer than we realize. And so I invite you, giving thanks for folks such as Josephine Bakita, to hold up that question. Who would they meet when they met you?
Lord Jesus, stay with us, for evening is at hand and the day is past. Be our companion in the way. Kindle our hearts and awaken hope that we may know you as you are revealed in Scripture and the breaking of bread. Grant this for the sake of your love. Amen. Amen. O God, the life of all who live, the light of the faithful, the strength of those who labor and the repose of the dead, we thank you for the blessings of the day that is past and humbly thank, ask for your protection through the coming night. Bring us in safety to the morning hours through him who died and rose again for us, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Together, let us say the prayer five on page three. Bring us, O Lord, at our last awakening into the house and gate of heaven, to enter into that gate and dwell in that house where there shall be no darkness or dazzling, but one equal light, no noise or silence, but one equal music, no fears nor hopes, but one equal possession, no ends nor beginnings, but one equal eternity. In the habitations of thy glory and dominion, world without end, The peace of God, which passes all our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be among you and remain with you always. Amen. <laughs>